everybody to Workplace Therapy. Um, so we're going to just take a few minutes here in our first inaugural episode and give you a little glimpse into what Workplace Therapy is about, why it exists, and I'll have the pleasure of introducing you uh, to the rest of the Workplace Therapy team. Um, but let's start our conversation today by just giving you a little bit of background on what is Workplace Therapy and why did we decide to start this podcast? One of the things that I've realized in my journey through corporate America, um, and that all of us should also be able to identify with is that work is a significant part of the human experience. We spend 40, 50, 60 plus hours a week invested in the things that we have chosen to do for work. Most of us work for a living and work in the context of being in community with other people. Like not very many of us have a work situation where it's just us in isolation. Furthermore, people are at the heart of every business. So regardless of what business you're in and what profession you've chosen, your business is the business of people. And that can be anything from the customers we serve, the employees who serve them, the leaders who develop those employees. We're all infinitely complex individuals with a diverse set of experiences, strengths, beliefs, biases, and these things inform our actions, our expectations, our preferences. They're the lens through which we see each other and through which we see the world. And this diversity can be a really wonderful thing. It is fuel for innovation and growth. And we've proven time and time again that when nurtured properly, a diverse and empowered team can make massive positive impact, not just in their organizations, but in each other's lives and in the world in general. But there's a problem. And that problem is that even the best of organizations, we drop the ball from time to time. And because work is such a huge part of our lives, the impact of those ball drops can be really traumatic. And those traumatic experiences can be things that we carry with us into other aspects of our life. Um, and so you don't have to look very far to find examples of workplace trauma, especially in this day and age. Um, we're experiencing massive layoffs across multiple sectors of the economy. Um, it's not uncommon for us to hear or experience examples of unfair employment and promotion practices or even just toxic gossip at the water cooler, it can have a heavy burden on the lives and mental health of today's employees. So this podcast is going to be a place where we can share and study these stories and use our collective experiences to figure out what the hell to do about all of it and how to enter into life and work as fully empowered and confident people. Given that we're your hosts on this therapeutic journey, you probably want to know a little bit about us and our experiences. Um, so I'll go ahead and start. My name's Scott Arietta. I'm the CEO and founder of Unity & Company. It's a consulting firm that specializes in partnering with organizations to leverage a strategic understanding of human experiences to drive business performance. And specifically, we focus in three main areas. Uh, I alluded to them earlier, but customer experience, employee experience, and leadership development. And so... Um, yeah. And prior to founding Unity, I spent 20 years working as a senior leader in customer experience, operations, and HR. People have literally been the center of everything that I've chosen to do with my career, and I wouldn't trade a minute of it for anything in the world. Um, I spent the last 10 years of my career specifically working with fast-paced uh, venture-backed startups. Um, at nearly every stage of development, from pre-revenue all the way to leading to IPO and then even beyond IPO. 
um, and uh, and the eventual exit in a couple of cases. And so throughout my career, I've had the opportunity to lead large global teams across a variety of functions and industries and maturity cycles. And so I'm really well acquainted with the challenges of developing and sustaining inclusive cultures and the pitfalls of getting it wrong. Um, so that's me in a nutshell. Um, I'll hand the mic off now to Dr. Sarah Gould, um, who is an amazing woman I've had the opportunity to work with in a couple of different contexts over the last few years. Um, and she's going to add um, a perspective to uh, workplace therapy that's all her own. Sarah. Thanks, Scott. So I currently sit on Scott's team as the VP of Learning and Development. I have about 20 years of professional experience as an educator and leader. It's something I'm very passionate, similar to Scott. People have been centric to every part of my professional and personal journey. Um, I have a doctorate in leadership, and I'm certified as an executive coach. I've had the fortunate opportunities to... Uh, work globally uh, and focus on change management, leadership, equity, and vision work. I've partnered with schools, nonprofits, startups, large companies, military, and a host of other small businesses and individuals. I currently own my own consulting firm, Sarah Gould Consulting. I work with companies like the Breakthrough Leadership Group, Franklin Covey, WIDA, and Friedead. I also have an app in development that focuses on entrepreneur support, which is so desperately needed in today's industry. I've really learned that leadership is about communicating people's worth so clearly that they're compelled to see it in themselves. And really, my dream is for the world to wake up to their full potential and that I can be part of that dream and that reality. I'm happy to also introduce our partner, Skylar. Thank you. Uh, so I am also working with Scott uh, at Unity, and I actually originally met Scott uh, in one of my first roles of undergrad about seven years ago, and now we're working together now, so I'm really excited about that. Um, I'm still kind of early to mid-stage in my career. I recently graduated business school and have been lucky to work a variety of experiences so far. So I've done marketing, customer support, strategy, project management, and HR um, at companies ranging from startups to huge global corporations. Um, so I kind of like to think of it as like a mixed box of donuts, really delicious and something for everybody there. Um, but I'm, I'm driven to make work more enjoyable and not just something that we do for eight hours a day and plus dread on the weekend. Um, and part of that is, you know, talking about some of the not great things that we've experienced in the workplace. So I think like every millennial, I know that therapy is really helpful, but I'm still a little nervous about it. So we can go through this together. Um, and right now, along with Unity, I'm focusing on some entrepreneurial activities. I have two travel startups that I'm working on and um, really trying to understand what my professional values are and connecting them with my personal values as well. But I thought too, to get kind of get to know us a little bit more, I would love to hear about your first jobs. And Sarah, if you can go first, and then so like, what was your first job? Did you like it? What did you learn from it? Was it like everything you imagined and more? My first job was actually at a chiropractic office when I was 14. 
So my mom would drive me after school and drop me off two days a week. And I would just alphabetize files because back then we had paper files for all of our patients. And that is a job that I actually ended up staying at as a temporary or seasonal employee through college. And so I got to see the business change and grow, the name change, the practice change, partners come and go. Uh, but the chiropractor that I worked for, Dr. Jeffrey Bruner, was always just such an inspiration for me because he wasn't just about helping people uh, heal their bodies, but just be there as an incredible human being. It taught me resiliency. It taught me how to work in a small business, family-owned practice. And I think starting so young at 14 before I could get a work permit was... Um, really good for my soul because it taught me a lot of integrity and hard work very, very early on in my career. Uh, and I've always had a fascination with well-being and health and I attribute it to that very first job. So <laughs> that's amazing. Our, you know, our experiences might be a little opposite because I, my first job, I worked at a frozen yogurt shop. <laughs> so it wasn't exactly aimed towards well-being and health, but I guess for the soul, uh, but I actually loved working there because <laughs> I do. I love well being for the soul. I mean, yogurt. so <laughs> you're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, but I I remember I would come in and I I am now like an expert fruit cutter due to this job. So like I can cut any type of fruit within like two minutes because I just had to come in every morning and chop all the fruit and then serve people. But it did. It did give me like a really good understanding of, you know, customer support, just dealing with different types of people. And I was, you know, a teenager too. So it was nice to just have that first work experience and, um, I don't know, have that light in your kind of life. Scott, what so about Skylar, you? Well, hold on. Before I answer the question for myself, I'm curious. So what, what okay. fruit, what fruit was the hardest to learn how to cut? Which one was mm. the hardest to master? Well, pomegranates are notoriously difficult because you have to soak them first before you cut them. And yeah, I would, when somebody asked, like, can I get all pomegranate seeds on my yogurt? And I was like, no, you cannot. Like, <laughs> no, that's not <laughs> an option. We can't do that. I didn't that. know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can get pomegranate. It actually tastes really delicious, but I was like, no, you can't get these because you you only get one scoop per person because I didn't want to go cut another one. But uh, my favorite food to cut is pineapple. I can do that. Really oh, quickly. really? I don't yeah. even know. I, I don't have a lot of experience actually cutting pineapple. Like that's one fruit that I just buy <laughs> pre-cut in whatever shape I want. You know, you want the like little circles, you want the cubes, you want the dices. Um, so what's the, what's the secret to that? Um, I guess getting a good sense of where the core is and cutting it out. Okay. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Well, thanks for the, thanks for the education. <laughs> um, actually I was just That's stalling cause I'm trying to figure out what my first work experience was and where there were any redeemable lessons from it. Um, the earliest job I can remember taking was actually in a contact center. I had no idea that that would be foreshadowing where I would spend like the next 
10 years of my career is in the context. That's amazing. I know. <laughs> it's like, like, I really just got a job because like I wanted like some, I mean, I wanted to be able to like buy things and, um, you know, survive, which is, I guess, why everybody gets a job. But like, I wasn't very discerning about where I got that job is what I'm saying. So I ended up working for this contact center. This was back in the day when, um, when there were contact centers still doing cold calls to sell like landline phone packages. So like call waiting, three-way calling, caller ID, uh, digital voicemail. Like these were like the big disruptive services of the day. But that's not what made the job bad. What made the job bad was the way that you would get routed to our contact center was you would have to have a dispute or a question about your bill. And so people would be calling in and like 95% of the calls would be people who are like, my bill is too high. Like I don't remember ordering these services. And, and that's fine. Like doing service recovery, it can wear on you like day after day. Um, but, uh, but that wasn't the hard part of the job. The hard part of the job was even though we were there to help people kind of figure out where these charges were coming from on their bill. We were also dually incentivized or even probably more incentivized to make additional incremental sales on those calls. So like someone would come call in and say, why is my like monthly phone bill a hundred bucks? You know, I have all these additional like services that I don't remember signing up for. And what we'd have to do is explain to you why they were there and sell you even more stuff like on top of that. And so the people who are like actually making great money and who are the most successful in this environment were the people who like talked really fast and frankly got older people to sign up for more services, like essentially just shock and awe, confuse them into like adding more stuff into their overall packages. And so I think what I learned, first of all, it didn't last very long. I, I maybe like finished training and spent like a couple, three weeks on the phone and just was like, this doesn't, this isn't for me because this doesn't feel like service, right? This feels like exploitation. Um, so I think like that was a really interesting lesson. And, you know, now that I reflect on it, I think it really kind of planted the seeds um, in my mind of a non-example of what customer service should be, right? Where that was a very, um, that was a very extreme example of how, uh, the wrong incentive structures can take people who are fundamentally good people, but have them lose compassion and empathy for the people that they are serving on the other end of the line. And so I think like incentive structures, context, culture, it makes a ton of difference um, in the world of customer experience in this case, but also the experience of the employees, um, you know, because it was a very kind of like disheartening environment to kind of work in to kind of like support that kind of business model day in and day out anyway sharing have, a little uh, bit of my workplace trauma i know <laughs> well so i i didn't do frozen yogurt but i did quickly thereafter um <laughs> find find starbucks and so like i was okay. really into the frozen coffee beverages at the time which you know i eventually got more hardcore as i had tons of like 4 a.m shifts and really just needed a more straightforward way to 
shock my system with caffeine. Um, but like Starbucks was actually like a really good case study um, in a lot of ways of a great company culture, especially at the time. Like this was the early 2000s. Uh, Starbucks was really kind of focused around what they called like the third place experience and, you know, really kind of creating um, a meeting place for the communities that they served. Um, and so I think uh, they've lost a little bit of that magic as they've increased their footprint and, you know, become increasingly commoditized over time. But um, but it was a good time in my life and my career to be at Starbucks and and uh, get a good example of what uh, creating um, kind of a human-centered experience kind of looks like. All right. What's your um, coffee order? What's that? Currently, today? Yeah. Um, my coffee order today is really just like cold brew, some stevia, <laughs> heavy cream. <laughs> I used to I used to get like six shots of espresso over ice. Um, <laughs> That was, uh, that was my go-to for a while. Well, I had to be hardcore. I mean, like I was in a band at the time, like we would play like shows say, late into so, the night. <laughs> yeah. So, it's so, it's so emo of you, Scott. So emo, right? I mean, mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. we'll get more into my emo background, I'm sure. Um, as we please further into other episodes. All right. Um, anything else from you ladies, any hopes, dreams, um, thoughts about what workplace therapy can become? I just, I actually love Skylar, what you said about how as a fellow millennial, although I'm like more like Zennial, to be honest with you, um, not to age myself, but I think that idea that we accept that therapy is something that we need to normalize. And I think personal therapy, we're getting there, right? It's okay to ask for help. What we haven't normalized is asking for help in the workplace because we feel like vulnerability and uh, is a sign of incompetence, right? And so I think this idea of workplace therapy is something that is very unique and really just starting to emerge. And so I think I'm really excited about doing this podcast through the stories that we share and the articles that are out there, because if we can get to the paradigm shift that we have with us as millennials, that, Hey, you know, personal therapy is actually really important. Mental health is really important. If we can shift that to be normalized in the workplace, can you imagine what that does for us as human beings and in society? It's, unbelievable. And so I just think the topic at hand is uh, the right time and it's the right place. And I think we're the right people. I just got chills. Yeah, I'm, um, <laughs> I'm definitely honored to get the conversation started um, with, with the two of you. And, you know, Sarah, I think what you said is just so important. I mean, we we have been conditioned not to ask for help in the workplace. We spend so much time in the context of work. And yet, even though it constitutes a significant proportion of, you know, the days that we spend on this earth is in the context of working, we're not really truly ourselves in those environments. We don't feel free to, um, 
we don't feel free to kind of articulate like what our struggles are and, you know, where we need like help and leverage. And actually, I think that's the perfect segue into our first episode here in Workplace Therapy, which will be dropping next week, um, which is all about psychological safety. Um, how do you create it in the workplace? What is it? What are the benefits of having it? And why don't more places make it a priority? Um, so I think that's a great place to kind of end our introduction for today. And uh, we'll be back next week with our deep dive into psychological safety. 